Welcome to our Painesville Assembly of God podcast. Our desire is to connect people to a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. If this message touches your heart, we'd love to hear about it. Email us at info at or visit PainesvilleAG.com. We pray that this message will be an encouragement to your faith. Man, praise the Lord. Well, I don't know about you, but when I was a kid in Sunday school and children's church, we had different songs that, uh, that were very popular that we liked to sing. Um, anybody remember Father Abraham had many sons? Anybody remember that one? Yeah. Uh, and, and, and there's different ones that you might remember. Uh, but one in particular that uh, came to my mind as I was uh, kind of preparing the message for today, and, and maybe you sang this one, maybe you didn't. In my children's church, we sang this one. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. Give me oil in my lamp, I pray. Give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning, burning, burning. Keep me burning till the break of day. Right, and you're ready to go. Sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna. Sing Hosanna to the King of Kings, right? Yeah, Hosanna, sing Hosanna, sing Hosanna to the King, right? Yeah, give me oil in my lamp, keep me burning. And I don't know about you, but uh, today I want to I wanna encourage you because the title of the message today is Keep the Lamp Burning. Keep the Lamp Burning. You see, in Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 35, Jesus said this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning. As though you were waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. There are a couple of things. He says, be dressed and ready for service. But he also says, keep your lamps burning. And today I want to take a look at not only what the the Gospels say in the New Testament talks about the idea of lamps. But I want to look back at the very root and background in the Old Testament of what it is to, of the, the lamp of God. You see, when God appeared to Moses and the Israelites on, on Mount Sinai, God not only gave them the Ten Commandments, but he began to, to, to lay out for Moses this picture of what he wanted him to build, which was a, a tent called the tabernacle. It was a a holy place in which God would meet with his people, in which sacrifices would be offered. It was the place in which the Ark of the Covenant that would be built would be in what is called the Holy of of Holies. And, And God began to lay out for Moses this tabernacle, this place where his glory would rest and where the priests Aaron and 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 his sons and the Levites would come and they would prepare the offerings and they would get ready to prepare those sacrifices that would allow for the people to be made right with God. And so as you take a look at this idea of the tabernacle in the camp, the tabernacle was literally to be put in the center of the camp And on each side would be the tribes, and they all had their designated spots, the east, the west, the north, and the south. But right in the center, the place of worship, the place that would be right in the center would be the tabernacle. And as the tabernacle was built, there were different furnishings for the tabernacle, each having their place. There was, as you would enter in, you'd start in the outer court. 
The outer court was outside of the tent itself. It was an area before that there would, that, that the priest would, would be able to go into the tent. Uh, into the tabernacle tent itself. It was the place of the outer court and there was the brazen altar, the place where sacrifices would be offered in order to sanctify the people, allowing them to be made right with God. There was also the, the laver that was there for them to be able to wash ceremonially the washing that needed to be done before they would enter into the first section of the tabernacle, which would be the holy place. The holy place was a 15 foot by 30 foot place where only the priests were allowed to enter. And in there, there was, there was some, some furniture that was inside. Again, the holy place is not the holy of holies. The holy of holies was separated by that curtain. And beyond the holy of holies, only the high priest could enter in to the holy of holies where the ark of the covenant was on the day of atonement. But daily, they were supposed to have daily activity where they would enter in, the priest would enter into the holy place. And there in the holy place, Place was an altar of incense and a lampstand, and we might see a picture in a few moments of a menorah, the table of showbread, and each of their own had a symbolic purpose. And again, the veil separated the holy place from the holy of holies. And here the priest would serve daily, and you, you see on the, on the screen there uh, the, 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 the picture that's there of, of the lampstand, and that's where we're going to take a look at. But they all had a spiritual meaning. In fact, a, a guy by the name of Ralph Harris, he points out that the holy place typifies service. It's Jesus' service for us in the heavenlies and our service to him on earth. And each of the items in the holy place had to be tended to daily. While each one was important, today I want to focus on that, the golden lampstand. The lampstand we might call a menorah today, and it was made of pure hammered gold. In other words, there was, there was not sections. It was, it was not sections that were molded in. It was a, a piece of gold that had been hammered out and, and carved out into the very, the very place in which it looks like this. It had a, a, a candle, and, and it was seven. There's, you'll see seven stalks there. In the center that's there, that center candle is to represent Jesus. And then there are branches that go out, three on each side, six on each side. And those, those branches represent his people. Jesus himself stated in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. How many of you know that? I'm the light of the world, Right? And, and Jesus is the light of the world, but yet he stated also in Matthew chapter 5, uh, he stated that, that, that you as, the, as believers, you are the light of the world. Like a city on a hill that, that cannot be hidden. So Jesus is the light, and, and yet we're called the light of the world. But our light is only from Jesus. You see that center place uh, that represents Jesus. That is where the oil was poured in. And then it would make its way out to the branches. And those branches would only be able to be lit and shine as long as there was oil that was coming from that center place of the candle, which is Jesus himself. How many know it kind of reminds me of John 15 when Jesus says that I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me, right? And I in you. If you abide in me, you will bear what? Much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. We see the symbolism of that within the golden lampstand, gold representing divinity. And you see that there are almond-shaped bowls that, that hold the, the oil. And, and there are golden knobs and almond flowers on top of each branch. 
And, and according to one book I read, the golden lampstand is symbolic of spiritual light. You see, in the tent, uh, uh, in, the, in, the, in the tent, there was no natural light. There was not to be any natural light from the outside. The light was supposed to come from the golden lampstand. And the golden lampstand was, was this. One would have to come into the holy place with God and walk by God's light in order to enjoy fellowship with him. No service in natural light is acceptable to the father of lights. And again, while Jesus is the light of the world, he said for us in Matthew 5, 14, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. And while we do not produce light on our own, in keeping with the Old Testament typology, our, our light only shines brightly as long as we remain in him. There's another critical element to understanding the golden lampstand. And that is what fueled the flame. And what fueled the flame was the oil. Look at this in Leviticus 24, 1-4. The Lord said to Moses, command the people of Israel to bring your pure oil of pressed olives for the light. To keep the lamps burning continually. This is the lampstand that stands in the tabernacle in front of the inner curtain that shields the Ark of the Covenant. Aaron must keep the lamps burning in the Lord's presence all night. This is a permanent law for you, and it must be observed from generation to generation. Aaron and the priests must tend the lamps of pure gold, gold lampstand continually in the Lord's presence. The lampstand itself was what contained and, and had the, the wicks in each of those areas where the, the oil was at. And they had to tend to the lampstand. They had to tend to the oil. They had to keep the lamps burning. But as you know, throughout Scripture, what is oil symbolic of? The Holy Spirit. Throughout Scripture, oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit, a, a pure, pressed olive oil. The people were to bring the, the, the pressed olive oil, the pure pressed olive oil to the priest. As they brought that to the priest, it kept the lamp burning in the tabernacle. Aaron and the priests were commanded again to, to keep the oil replenished and to tend to the, the wicks. The, the blackened parts needed to be trimmed. They needed to be taken care of in order for the, the, the light to burn brightly. And the wick would not burn unless it was submersed in the oil. The wick in and of itself had absolutely no value to keep a flame lit unless it was soaked in the oil. Oh, friends, we need to keep ourselves immersed in the oil of the Holy Spirit if we are to keep our light and our lives burning brightly for Jesus. Keep the lamp burning. With this backdrop in mind, I want to take us to another place in Scripture, place in 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel, you see, 1 Samuel begins in the latter part of uh, the Israel's place of history that was a time period known as the Judges. You had the time of Joshua when Joshua had led the people into the promised land and the battles that took place in the promised land. And, and, and when the battles were taking place in the, in the promised land, the people were claiming the land. But when Joshua passed away, there, there was a generation that rose up that neither knew the Lord. Did not remember what he had done. And so God would raise up judges or deliverers during that time. And a common phrase during that time that was used over and over and over again was that everyone did what was right in their own eyes. 
That's kind of the time period that we're in. But we're at the latter part of that time period, the latter part known as the judges. And spiritually speaking, it was a very dim time. As First Samuel opens, there is a high priest who is in place at the time, who is also acting as a judge, and his name is Eli. Eli is a descendant of the priestly line of Moses' brother Aaron, and the tabernacle at that time and that place was in a, a city that was known as, or a place that was known as Shiloh. And it was, it was there in that place of Shiloh that uh, Eli, along with his sons and the priests, were there to, to tend what was happening in the tabernacle, to tend to the offerings and the sacrifices on behalf of the people. And 1 Samuel opens with the story of a barren woman, a barren woman named Hannah who comes with her husband Elkanah to offer yearly sacrifices to the Lord. And while she is there, she is deeply hurt and crying out in anguish because she is barren and, and her rival wife continues to make fun of her because she has not been able to conceive and bear forth the son. There was shame upon her because of her barrenness and she goes there to offer the sacrifices uh, and, and, uh, and while she is there crying out in anguish to the Lord, the high priest Eli is there. And, and, and while she's there, God promises her a son. And part of her prayer was, God, if you give me a son, I will give him back to you for him to be for your purpose all the days of his life. And God answers her. And her son, his name is Samuel. When Samuel is old enough to be weaned, his mother follows through on the vow that she had made to the Lord. And during one of the times of the yearly sacrifices, she brings him back and she gives him back over to Eli to there be in the tabernacle and to help with the things that are happening in the tabernacle. And that is where this part of our story that we're going to look at today begins. First Samuel chapter three, starting in verse one says this, the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those days, the word of the Lord, look at this, was rare. There were not many visions. And one night, Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the house of the Lord where the ark of God was. The lamp of God is a, a symbol of the spiritual condition of Israel at the time. And in verse 3, it describes the timing as the lamp of God had not yet gone out. Now, as I was studying, there are some who speculate that this is, sim don't make more out of this, this is simply just a reference to the time of the, of the morning that it was. You light the lamps in the evening, they burn all evening, all night long, and then, uh, and then they burn out by morning. You're to keep them lit all night long and they burn out by morning. There are some that say that that's a reference to the time in which God was speaking and calling out to Samuel was more in the early morning hours uh, of the morning. But I believe that it symbolizes, friends, much more than that. For the context and the time of events that soon follow is an indication that it is a detail that is included in here more than just a timing purpose, but to highlight the very spiritual condition that is happening in Israel at the time and an indication that the lamp was not being tended to. 
The King James Version goes a step further. It says, and ere the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord where the ark of the Lord was, and Samuel laid down to sleep. The lamp of, the, of God went out. Who's tending to the lamp of God? Why did the lamp of God go out? And this morning I want to highlight three reasons why I see from this passage that if we're not careful, the lamp of God can go out. Three, three reasons what we see in this that, that would cause us today to take inventory of the lamp of God in our lives. Number one, the, Lord, the word of the Lord was rare. Going back to verse one, in those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. See, in the days of Eli, the, the, the word of the Lord was rare. There, for years, the, the word of the Lord had been neglected. There was no value that was placed on the word of the Lord. There was no value placed on the relationship with the Lord. There was no emphasis there. It's illustrated later on and or earlier on in the opening of the story involving Hannah. Hannah had come to the Lord because she was barren. She was barren. And I believe this is describing what's happening in Israel at the time. And it says this in, in 1 Samuel 1, 9 and 10, as she's seeking the Lord, one, once after a sacrificial meal at Shiloh, Hannah got up and went to pray, and Eli the priest was sitting in his customary place beside the entrance of the tabernacle. And Hannah was in deep anguish, crying bitterly as she prayed to God. She was crying bitterly because she was barren. She was in deep anguish. And where's Eli. Eli is sitting beside the entrance of the tabernacle and what happens next reveals something in Eli spiritually. It says this in verse 12, as she was praying to the Lord, Eli watched her seeing her lips move, but not hearing, but hearing no sound. He thought she had been drinking. Must you come here drunk? He demanded, throw away your wine. Friends, Eli had lost his spiritual sensitivity. Eli had lost his spiritual sensitivity. You see, when you, when you read in the context of what's been happening around the tabernacle at that time and, and his sons who are, the Bible calls scoundrels, and things that are going on, it's no wonder that Eli might want to draw a conclusion that a woman might come into the tabernacle drunk and, 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 and pray and missing the fact that she was in deep anguish because she was barren, because there was a need, because she was hurting. But Eli had missed it spiritually. He was perceiving something naturally and did not, was not able to perceive spiritually what was happening. He was unable to do that because the word of the Lord was rare in those days. And it says that at that time his eyes were dim. I know physically speaking, but friends, I believe that there is a spiritual blindness in Eli. A spiritual blindness because he was unable to discern the word of the Lord. He was unable to discern what was happening. When the word of the Lord is rare, the lamp of God goes dim. When the word of the Lord is rare and we don't tend to the word of the Lord daily in our lives, the lamp of God goes dim. We are not sensitive spiritually. We want to interpret everything through natural eyes, through physical eyes, and we don't recognize the spiritual battle and the spiritual things that are taking place because all we can do is perceive it naturally. When the word of the Lord is rare, we want to see everything naturally and not perceive the things that are happening spiritually. And the, the, the lamp goes dim. Hannah's 
physical barrenness caused her to cry out in bitter anguish to the Lord as she asked for a son. Her barrenness brought her to her knees. But I believe it's also a picture as it opens up to the barrenness that was happening in Israel at the time. The barrenness that was going on in, in Israel at the time spiritually. But you don't see Eli on his face crying out in repentance and asking God to bring forth fruit. Instead, he's sitting at the entrance of the tabernacle. He's just sitting back. Nowhere do we say that evidence more than we, when, when, we, when we don't see the desire for the word of the Lord. Friends, may we not neglect the importance of the word of God in our lives. When we begin to neglect the word of the Lord, the lamp of our life will grow dim. The lamp of our life will grow dim. We ought to heed the words of the psalmist in Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my path. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Friends, we cannot neglect the word of the Lord. Let's not let the word of the Lord be rare in our lives. Secondly, sin was tolerated. The lamp of God was going out because sin was tolerated. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, we get a description of what the priesthood was like at that time. It says this in verse 12, Now the sons of Eli were scoundrels who had no respect for the Lord or their duties as priests. And the description that follows is, is one that shows Eli's sons. They had no regard for the sacrifices that were being offered. They would come and demand of the people the, the meat to be given to them as it was put in the boiling water to be offered. That they, would, they wouldn't even wait until the fat had been burned off. They wouldn't, even, they wouldn't even wait. They were demanding and sticking their fork in and, and taking whatever they wanted whenever they wanted it. There was no regard for the offering of the Lord. There was no regard for what was happening in the spiritual moment that was taking place as offerings were being made to make people right with him. Instead, they just wanted whatever their flesh wanted at the time. They were selfish, demanding what their appetites desired. 1 Samuel 2.17 So the sin of these young men was very serious in the Lord's sight, for they treated the Lord's offering with contempt. And the worst part was... Eli, who was the high priest at the time, Eli knew better. He knew what was happening. In fact, 1 Samuel 2.22 says, Now Eli was very old, but he was aware of what his sons were doing to the people of Israel. He knew, for instance, that his sons, look at this, not only were they contempt of the offerings, but they were seducing the young women who assisted at the entrance of the tabernacle. Eli's sons were doing ungodly things. Eli's sons were, were, were not doing what they ought to do. They ought to be removed from the priesthood. In some cases, when you read the book of Leviticus, what they ought to be done in the book of Exodus, they should have been killed. They were deserving of death. And Eli would not, would not do anything about what his sons were doing. He did not remove them from the priesthood. He did not step in. The verses for, for that, that, that follow show him, they give him a little warning. Hey, you really shouldn't do that. That's not very nice. Stop doing that. Don't do that. You know, you guys, you know, you really shouldn't do it. He, he knew what was right, but he tolerated it. He tolerated it. He tolerated what was going on. You see, where sin is tolerated, the lamp of God will be affected. 
You cannot tolerate sin and expect the lamp to burn brightly in your life. You, You can't tolerate sin. Oftentimes, that's the progression. The word of the Lord becomes rare. And then we begin to justify sin in our lives. That's when the lamp of God begins to go out. When we begin to tolerate sin, when we allow the word of God to be rare in our lives, be careful ere the lamp of God is going out. Be careful. Third, apathy sets in. In 1 Samuel chapter 2, Eli is confronted by someone who's described as a man of God in verse 27. He came with a warning from God. That, that he was going to remove his family, Eli's family, from the priesthood, him and his family, because of the continued wickedness. In a time when the word of the Lord was rare, Eli receives a warning from God. At a time when it, was, when it was rare, Eli is receiving a warning from God. But what we don't read in, in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, and you can read through it, what you don't read is Eli ever dropping to his knees or on his face in repentance towards God. What you don't, what you don't read is Eli going, God, let me deal with this. Don't deal with this. Let me deal with my sons. I'm going to remove them from the priesthood. We're going to be done with this. We're going to turn revival. We're going to get back and we're going to stop tolerating sin. You don't read that anywhere. It's not there. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, God is calling out to young Samuel. Samuel thinks it's Eli calling three times. Finally, Eli realizes that God is speaking to the boy. And he says to Samuel, speak. Tell him anytime you hear this voice again, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. And the Lord reveals to Samuel that the judgment that's going to happen to Eli and his family. Listen to this judgment. 1 Samuel 3, 12 and 13. I'm going to carry out all my threats against Eli and his family from beginning to end. I've warned him that judgment is coming upon his family forever because his sons are blaspheming God and he hasn't disciplined them. He grew apathetic. The warnings of God had come, but he turned a deaf ear. He grew apathetic. He wouldn't do what God was asking him to do. And God says, I have no choice. Judgment is going to have to come upon the house of Eli. I have no choice. I have warned, but he has been apathetic. I have warned, but he has not listened. I have been giving warnings, but he has tolerated sin for too long. I have given warnings, but he has not cared. There is apathy in his heart. He knew. He knew what to do. But he did not do it. And there, the lamp of God went out in the temple of the Lord. And in the morning, Eli went to Samuel. He demanded to know what the Lord had said. And 1 Samuel 3.18 says this, so Samuel told Eli everything. He didn't hold anything back. It's the Lord's will, Eli replied. Let him do what he thinks is best. You have another warning. You have another warning. You hear a warning like this, and, and what would your response be? What would your response be? I don't know about you, but I'd tear my clothes, I'd rend my garments, I'd fall on my face, at least I hope I would. And I'd say, oh God, I repent. Oh God, we need to change our ways. Oh God, will you relent? Oh God, I fall on my face and repent, but there, there is no repentance. There is no sorrow. It doesn't even appear that he cares. Well, the Lord's will, 
Let him do what he thinks is best. Maybe he believed it. Maybe he didn't. Maybe he thought, I don't know what to do anymore. I tried everything and I don't know what to do. So, oh, well, God, I'm just going to, you just do whatever you want to do. The word of the Lord was rare in those days. You see, there's an outline pattern, a progressive pattern that dims the lamp of God, that causes the fire to go out, the neglect of the word of the Lord, that, and the, the, the tolerating of sin that leads to apathy, where when the warnings of God come, we don't fall on our face in repentance. We feel no conviction for our sin. Instead, we just kind of go along thinking, well, I don't know if it happens, it happens. Lord, your will, let it be done. Oh, what was the result for Eli and his family? 1 Samuel chapter 4. There was a war that began to break out. The enemy of Israel, the Philistines, began to attack the Israelites. And they, they went out to battle. They went out to fight against the, the Philistines. And, and 4,000 men of Israel lost their lives in that battle. And so the Israelites come back, and where do they come back? They come back to the priests. They come back to Eli. They come back to Hophni and Phinehas, his sons. They come back to them, and they say, hey, we just got our tails whooped. We just got a beat down. What are we to do? What is the Lord saying? What is the Lord telling us to do? We're, we're in this battle, and we're losing. We're, we're, we're the people of God. What are we to do? We're, we're not victorious. We're losing. What, what should we do? And listen, verse 3. 1 Samuel 4, 3. After the battle was over, the troops retreated their camp. The elders of Israel asked, why did the Lord allow us to be defeated by the Philistines? Why the Lord? Go inquire of the Lord. You're the priests, right? Go inquire of the Lord. And they said, let's bring the ark of the covenant of the Lord from Shiloh. If we carry it in a battle with us, it'll save us from our enemies. So they sent the men to Shiloh to bring the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of Heaven's armies, who is enthroned between the cherubim. Hophni and Phinehas, the sons of Eli, were also there with the Ark of the Covenant of God. Yeah, because they're supposed to carry it. Right? When all the Israelites saw the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord coming into the camp, their shout of joy was so loud it made the ground shake. Come on. Right? Here's what we're going to do. We're going to go grab the Ark of the Covenant because we know in this battle we just got whooped. We need God with us. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? That sounds pretty spiritual, doesn't it? That's a spiritual thing to do. Let's go back. What are we going to do? Let's, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant back. Let, let's bring the Ark of the Covenant. Let's go ask the priest. What do we do? We just got our tails whooped. Let's go, let's go bring the Ark of the Covenant. If we're in the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant represents God. And, you know, and, 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 and if God is, is with us, we're going to win the battle. The problem was, although the Ark of the Covenant might have been there, God wasn't there. Why? Because they hadn't tended to the lamp. Because they tolerated sin. Because the word of the Lord was rare. Because you don't see them falling on their faces and saying, God, what are we to do? God, what would you have us to do? They simply reacted by trying to do religious things with no relationship with God. They didn't, they didn't perceive spiritually that the lamp was dim and their relationship with God was not right. Yet they still tried to do religious things and expect victory. Come on, somebody. Eli's sons had asked, why? Oh, why? Why are we so defeated? And what did they do? They, they, they whooped and they hollered and, oh, the ground is shaking. We're whooping and we're hollering and woo. And then something terrible happens. 
1 Samuel 4, 10 and 11. So the Philistines fought desperately and Israel was defeated again and the slaughter was great. 30,000 Israelite soldiers died that day. The survivors turned and fled from their tents and the ark of God was captured and Hophni and Phinehas, the two sons of Eli, were killed. What happened? What happened? I think it's 2 Timothy 3, 5. What Paul said to Timothy, they have a form of godliness denying the power thereof. There's a form of godliness, but there's no oil in the lamp. There's no oil in the lamp. We, we do what the natural things we want to do. We rub our little lamps and we, we hang on to our little religious forms and, and things. And we think that's enough. But we're not tending to the, to the lamp of God. We're not tending to the lamp of God in our lives. Instead, we, the word of the Lord is rare. And instead, we tolerate sin and we grow apathetic to the things of God. But when it comes time to the battle, we want to hoop and holler. Meanwhile, our relationship with God is not right and the lamp of God is dim. Be careful. Be careful, church. Be careful. When the news came to Eli... It gets even worse. 1 Samuel 4, 17 and 18, Israel had been defeated by the Philistines. The messenger replied, the people have been slaughtered. And your two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were also killed. And the ark of God has been captured. And when the messenger mentioned what had happened to the ark of God, Eli fell backward in his seat beside the gate, broke his neck and died, for he was old and overweight. He had been Israel's judge for 40 years. Eli's sons were dead. Eli was dead. The ark of God was captured. And his daughter-in-law, who was expecting at the time, went into labor because of the stress of everything that was happening. And it says this in verses 21 and 22 that she named the child Ichabod, which means where is the glory? For she said Israel's glory is gone. She named him this because the ark of the God, the ark of God had been captured because her father-in-law and husband were dead. Then she said, the glory has departed from Israel and the ark of God has been captured. Friends, the lamp of God has gone out. Ere the lamp of God has gone out. Why? Why? How incredibly sad the glory has departed. Friends, let me encourage you today, keep the lamp burning. Let me encourage you today, keep the lamp burning. Keep the lamp burning. You see, in the Old Testament, the lamp of God was in the holy place of the tabernacle, later in the temple. But in the New Testament, Paul declares this in 1 Corinthians 6, 19. Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. As a believer in Jesus Christ, you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And in you is the oil of the Holy Spirit. Keep the lamp of God burning. 
Peter writes this, but you are not like that. For you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. Why? For he called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As the priesthood of God, as our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, let's take the Old Testament symbolism and recognize that Jesus is the, is the ultimate light, but he has called us to be the light of the world. But if we're going to be the light of the world, we got to tend to the lamp in our lives and keep the lamp burning. Keep the lamp burning. Keep the lamp burning. Keep yourself immersed in the oil of the Holy Spirit. Keep yourself in the word of the Lord. Don't let the word of the Lord become rare in your life. Stop tolerating sin. Stop looking at it with apathy and think, oh, well, it'll, I just, it'll be okay. Oh, well, God's grace. Do we sin that grace may abound? Absolutely not. Oh, friends, let us tend to the holiness of God. Let us heed the warnings of the Lord. We have been called out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to burn brightly for the Lord. Keep your lamp burning. Keep your lamp burning. Heal the, heed the warnings of the Lord while you can. Repent before God and allow God to trim the wick of your life so that you can burn brightly for him. Don't follow the ways of Eli, of Hophni, of Phinehas. Keep the lamp burning. I want to share one last story. Worship team, will you come? At one of D.L. Moody's meetings in America back in the 1800s, he related the story of a, a shipwreck on a dark, contemptuous night. There was not even a star that was visible in the sky. And a ship happened to be approaching, of all things, in his story, the harbor of Cleveland. So he's coming in from the Great Lakes, and a, 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 a ship is approaching the harbor of, of Cleveland, and there's a pilot on board. And the captain was noticing that there was only one light as they drew near, a light from the lighthouse. And he asked the pilot, if he was quite sure that that was Cleveland Harbor. I only see one light, the light of the lighthouse. Are you sure this is Cleveland Harbor? Because there should be other lights. Other lights that are burning in the mouth of the, the harbor. They're called the, the low lights. Where are the, where are the lower lights? And, and that's what he's saying in the mouth of the harbor. Are you sure? And the pilot said, I'm quite sure. Whereupon the captain inquired, well, where are the lower lights? Where are the lower lights? Gone out, sir, replied the pilot. Can you make the harbor then? Asked the captain. To which the pilot answered, we must, sir, or perish. Bravely, that old man steered the vessel upon her course towards safety. But alas, in the darkness of the harbor... They missed the harbor mouth, missed the channel, and the ship struck upon many rocks, and in the stormy waters, many lives were lost. And then D.L. Moody made this appeal to his audience that day, and it's an appeal that I make to you today. Brothers, the master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lamps burning. God will take care of the lighthouse. Keep the lower lamps burning. So as we close this message and we move into a time of worship and prayer, let me ask you, 
How is your lamp? How is the light of your lamp? How is the light of your lamp? Does it burn brightly for the Lord or is it time to take some time and tend to the wick of your lamp? Is it time to immerse yourself once again and say, oh, I need the oil of the Holy Spirit. I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit today. I need a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit today that I might burn brightly for the Lord. Do you need a refreshing today, a refreshing of the oil of the Holy Spirit? Do you need to fan it back into flame, the gift of God? Do you need to repent today of apathy in your life or sin that you've tolerated today? Do you need to repent of sin that you've been tolerating and the apathy in your life? Do you need a fresh word from the Lord? Oh, friends, let us keep the lamp burning. Let us keep the lower lights burning so the dark world that's around us can find salvation in Jesus. They can find salvation in Jesus. How is your lamp? How is your lamp today? Let's bow our heads. Hallelujah. Friends, I just wanna, I wanna ask you today, how's your lamp? How's your lamp? Do you need a fresh oil, a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit today? Is there sin in your life that you need to repent today? You need to say, oh God, I heed your warning today. I repent of my sin. I'm not going to tolerate it in my life any longer. I come and I bring it before you. God, keep the lamp burning in my life. Keep the lamp burning in my life. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Jesus, Jesus right now. I just ask that you would begin to work, Holy Spirit, right now I pray that areas in our lives that, are, that we've, been, we've been apathetic towards, sin that we've tolerated, I pray, Lord, that you would bring conviction right now, Holy Spirit. Bring conviction in our lives right now, Holy Spirit. I just pray for the conviction of you to, to move so that, so that we can trim the wick and burn brightly for you. Father, I pray that if anyone is, a, is, is tired, maybe they're just in need of a fresh anointing, I pray for a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit today in this place on our lives. We need a fresh outpouring today. Oh God, set us aflame. Set us afire for you, oh God, that we would burn brightly for you this day. Oh God, we need you. We need the oil of your Holy Spirit to continually flow in our lives. Keep the lamp burning, God. Keep the lamp burning, God. Keep the lamp burning. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We pray that you're encouraged by this message. For more information about Painesville Assembly of God, visit PainesvilleAG.com.